Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Just go to Indeed.com slash BrainsOn right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BrainsOn, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. The Brains On Water Detective Project is supported by funding from the H.B. Fuller Company Foundation, a proud supporter of STEM education initiatives, and by 3M, improving lives through support of education, community, and the environment. All right, my metalhead amigos, gather around for a charred falcon band meeting. Hold on. Just one more. There. Had to get that rip out of my system. Okay, we need a topic for a new song, and it has to be super metal. What have you got? I am Knife Guitar Queen! Totally metal, but that's not a topic. That's just a series of nouns. Oh, yeah. What else? How about the severed heads of Cobra Snakes? Yeah! Totally metal! But I don't know if it has the narrative strength and imaginative lyrical potential to support a standard three-verse song structure. What about Dark Black Nights? Done it already. Oh, yeah. Dark Black Caves. That was our second hit, remember? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Dark Black Coffee. Anyone else? What about Burning Rivers of Fire? <laughs> yeah! Oh, good one, good one. Yeah. That's good. Really. Gnarly, right, yeah. Very metal indeed. But... Kind of far-fetched. I mean, rivers can't catch fire. No, they totally can't. Look, if there's one thing the Charred Falcon is known for, it's that we thrash hard, and we are always scientifically accurate. Dude, this is science. You need to get educated about the Cuyahoga River! The what? The Cuyahoga River, in the metal capital of the world. Cleveland, Ohio, home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Here, listen to this. Wait, what are you queuing up? My favorite podcast. I use it for inspiration. Get ready to have your mind blown. (laughs) Yeah! listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host today is Gitanjali Rao from Lone Tree, Colorado. Welcome back, Gitanjali. Thank you. Gitanjali has been our co-host for two other episodes we've done recently about water. How wonderful and weird water is. And how its fascinating features also mean it can get polluted pretty easily. Gitanjali won the 2017 Discovery Education 3M Young Scientist Challenge, go Gitanjali, for her invention that helps monitor water for one pollutant in particular, lead. To hear more about that very cool invention, check out our episode called What's in Your Water? Today, we're talking about burning rivers of fire. And yeah, it does sound totally metal. 
It also really happened a lot. In fact, from the late 1800s through a large part of the 1900s, river fires were fairly common. Before 1970, the Cuyahoga River in Ohio caught fire about a dozen times. There were also river fires in Buffalo, Detroit, Baltimore, and Philadelphia. As you might imagine, a flaming river is bad news for both people and wildlife. It's a sign that something's deeply wrong in nature. What was going on? How did this happen over and over, and who finally stopped it? It actually took a lot of people and some new laws to stop it. Oh, hey, it's reporter Annie Baxter. Annie works on a project called The Water Main. She's been looking into this phenomena of burning rivers. Annie, what did you learn? First and foremost, I learned that people used to really take rivers for granted. Which is bonkers, because water is crucial for, like, everything. Yeah, Rivers especially are. I mean, rivers do so much for humanity. Rivers, beautiful, majestic, wet. They've helped us for millennia. Early humans lived near rivers to drink from them and catch fish. Free food and water. Thanks, rivers. No problem, human. High five. Later, humans built boats to travel up and down rivers. They even used rivers to ship heavy goods. It's a lot easier to float stuff than to carry stuff. Plus, look, I got a horn now. Ah, that's so cool. Thanks, River. Sure thing, human. Eventually, humans invented water wheels. When rivers flowed over these marvels of engineering, the water would spin the wheel and power machines like mills that grind grains into flour. Grinding by hand, what a grind, am I right? Thanks for doing the work for me, River. I don't even notice that I'm doing it, so you're welcome. Humans used the river to help make all kinds of things, like the steel used to make bridges. At one point in the production process, it's molten, basically in liquid form. Humans use water to cool it down, so it forms a hard substance. Seriously, I would be up a creek without this river. <laughs> I know, why do they call me a lazy river? I do a ton of work. <laughs> Good one, <laughs> yeah, you're awesome. And humans used rivers for more than production, they also use them as a dump. Wait, what? Bye-bye, toxic crud. Now it's gone forever and will definitely not be a problem for me, my kids, or any future civilizations. <laughs> cool. Ugh, what did you just put in me? It tastes like a burnt tire just farted in my mouth. Yeah, that's why I dumped it. I don't want to smell that. <laughs> Thanks for making it disappear totally and completely forever. You're the best, River. That's not... Ugh, smells so bad. That's not how I work. This stuff is just going to float downstream or build up on the shores or riverbed. Not cool, human. Not cool. Well, it is pretty cool because with all the money my factory made, I bought a jet ski. Now I can jet ski on you, River. Jet ski? That sounds fun. What is... Oh, no, this is the worst. Ow, stop. Ow. No, get off me. This is terrible. It's so horrible. So in a nutshell, rivers are awesome. But we aren't always so awesome back. I'm guessing this is how we ended up with rivers of fire. It's a large part of it. Let me take you back. In the middle of the last century, America is full of factories. Many of them are in the Midwest, and a lot of them are near rivers, so they have a ready supply of fresh water, for all the reasons we've been hearing about. The factories are making all kinds of things. Business is booming, but sadly, so is pollution. Especially in the Cuyahoga, it ends up going down in history as one of the most notoriously dirty rivers. I gotta tell you, it was really, really bad. 
That's Frank Samsel. He's 88, and he grew up in Cleveland. I met up with him above the banks of the Cuyahoga, where it gets pretty noisy. There are still a lot of factories and trains hauling away the stuff made there. In the distance, you can see skyscrapers. Frank says a few decades ago, the only thing you'd see was smoke. Ha! You couldn't see the buildings from here. Wow. Yeah. You see that skyline there? Uh-huh. Now, I never saw that until into the 80s. And that's like seven, ten miles away. See the building with the sign on it, the green sign? He points just down the river. You'd never see that. Never. Wow. What did it smell like down here? It smelled like a steel mill and open sewers and dead fish and, and it bad. Speaking of fish, there was a study done back around that time. The researchers wanted to find out how many fish could survive in that awful environment. In one of the most polluted stretches of the river, they couldn't find any fish. Wow, that is really the most unpleasant-sounding river. It's hard for me to imagine. So who was putting all this garbage in there anyway? It came from a lot of places. There was trash from normal people like you and me. There was raw sewage, like what you flush down the toilet, sometimes making its way from cities along the river. There was hazardous waste coming from chemical and steel companies, waste from paint companies like Sherwin-Williams. When they cleaned out their paint tanks, the pigments would flow into the river. And there was also the company Standard Oil. Most service stations are just service stations. But a standard oil station is something else. The company had a refinery on the Cuyahoga. That's where crude oil pumped up from underground gets turned into the kind we use in cars, you know, gasoline. So you have this refinery working with oil, and sometimes that oil would accidentally get spilled into the water, which already had a lot of other stuff in it. Things like branches and trash just sort of hanging around because the Cuyahoga, it's a really slow-moving river. And all that debris would soak the spilt oil right up. That's according to this fellow, Bob Wysinski, who used to work for the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency. You know, anywhere where logs would accumulate, it would collect all the floating stuff on the river. It would include uh, waste uh, products, plastic, balls, and just whatnot. But anything floating on the surface would just get incorporated into like a mat. He says that mat of dry wood, plastic, and oil would get really hot in the summer, baking in the sun. If there's a spark or some molten steel would fall on that, you can very easily understand how that would catch on fire. That's what people think happened on June 22, 1969, when the Cuyahoga caught fire. The story spread. People around the country heard about it and were rightfully shocked. The news magazine Time did a big story about it. America had had enough. It was time to change. It was time to stop being such jerks to rivers. But how? Coming up, what happened after the fire? Stick around. something in today's episode spark a question or maybe an idea from one of our other Waterwise episodes got you wondering? If so, get in touch. Go to brainson.org slash contact. Who knows? You could inspire our next episode. You can also send us drawings, random thoughts, and of course, mystery sounds. Plus, if you do, you'll be added to the Brains Honor Roll. Like Troy, who sent us this. Hi, my question is... 
Why is it that our immediate reaction to pain is to say ouch? Sometimes before we even feel anything. We'll answer that in our moment of um at the end of the show. Oh, and you know what would really make our day? If you sent us drawings of fish giving each other high fives, or rather, high fins? Well, yes, but also if you helped us explain fun and gross. All right, we're doing a pair of episodes on the science of fun and gross. But these are difficult ideas to explain when you think about them. So help us out. How would you explain the concept of fun to, say, a robot? Gitanjali, how would you explain what fun is? Hmm, I would say the robot dance. Oh, that is really fun. And what about gross? How would you explain the idea of what gross is? Oil leak. Nice. Well, record your explanations and send them to us at brainson.org slash contact. Thanks. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. You're listening to Brains On. I'm Molly Bloom. And I'm Gitanjali Rao. And before we go any further, it's time for... You ready to take a guess, Katanjali? Yep. All right, here it is. Okay, what is your guess? Um, I would say pelicans in oil water. Ooh, very good guess. We'll have the answer in a bit, but first, I am still dying to know the fate of the Cuyahoga River. When we last left the Cuyahoga... It had been betrayed by the very humans who claimed to love it. This once pristine river was full of trash, oil, and sadness. Soon the trash and oil caught fire, and the sadness burned too, but in a different way, like emotionally, you know what I mean. This happened many times until finally people realized the error of their ways. But could they ever fix this mess they made? And more importantly, Could the river ever fix its broken heart? We'll find out on As the River Flows. Thanks, TV Recap Voice. No problem, Katanjali. Okay, with all that in mind, let's have reporter Annie Baxter pick up the tale from here. Annie? So, even before that last notorious fire on the Cuyahoga in 1969, people in Cleveland were trying to figure out how to address water pollution. After all, people didn't really want to ruin the river. It's just that many of them believe the old saying, the solution to pollution is dilution. They thought all the toxic stuff they were dumping into the water would just dilute or spread out so much in the water that it would no longer be a problem. That's only true up to a point, and rivers like the Cuyahoga, with a low flow, basically can't rinse all that bad stuff through them very easily. So when it came time to clean it, there was a lot to do. And Frank Samsel, the Clevelander we met earlier, he played a key role in the early efforts. 
He drove me to a big, abandoned-looking parking lot in Cleveland, and there sat a boat called the Putzfrau. It's a German word. And the Putzfrau was a cleaning lady. Okay. So we called it Putzfrau. Samsel and his crews would take the Putzfrau out on the river, collecting debris and vacuuming up oil off the water after a spill. So we could do a 15,000-gallon spill in one day with debris. And we were busy uh, with this boat on this river several days a week, up and down the lake 100 miles either way. And what Frank Samsel did helped. The river started shaping up. To be clear, Frank got paid to do the work. It was a business opportunity. But it also meant something to him personally to clean up the river where he lived. We were doing something that looked like it was worthwhile. You know, it was constructive. But all of this was just the start. Remember, it wasn't just the Cuyahoga that was catching fire. Big changes started to happen all over the country. In 1970, President Nixon helped launch the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. Its job was to study and monitor the environment. Two years later, Congress passed the Clean Water Act. This gave the EPA power to set standards for what could be dumped into waterways. And this is when things really started changing. Humans were older, wiser, beholden to federally mandated environmental safety standards. They began changing their ways. Hey, hey, look, I'm not just going to pour all this waste in you, River. I'm skimming out the solid stuff first. See? I'll get rid of it somewhere else. Am I supposed to cheer? That's bare minimum, dude. No, no, but, but check this out. If one of my factories is, like, releasing super acidic water, now we're going to add some stuff to neutralize the water first. No more acid flows. That's good, right? It's a start, I guess. I, I even treat some of my waste with these uh, cool little life forms called microorganisms. Yeah, they, they eat certain kinds of waste and, like, clean things up along the way. How cool is that? Not as cool as not trashing me in the first place. How about that? That sounds pretty cool. Look, uh, I'm sorry, River. You know, like, we're trying. We got laws in place, new technology to clean stuff, new tests to monitor everything. I mean, we're spending billions of dollars on this. I am the product of natural forces shaping the planet for all its existence. You think I'm impressed by money? I'm only impressed by two things. The all-encompassing balance and harmony of nature, and how much protein Dwayne The Rock Johnson eats every day. You've got to try harder than billions of dollars, pal. You're right. We should try harder. We're still learning, you know? We know we need to keep you healthy, but, like, we also like making stuff in factories, you know, like a jet ski. Turns out I hate jet skis. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they're actually the worst. I'm much more into kayaking now. But honestly, River, we're trying to be better. We really are. Will humans learn to live near rivers, use them for fun and industry, all while keeping them healthy? Only time will tell. So, Katanjali, I just want to ask you, have you heard this story of burning rivers before? I have not heard this story. It's absolutely crazy. Putting garbage into river is absolutely wrong. You know, we've heard stories about the effects that it has, and, you know, that shouldn't be right. Before we wrap up our tale of the Cuyahoga, it's time to go back to that mystery sound again. I'm going to play you a slightly longer version of it that might make it a little easier to guess. (laughs) 
I'm thinking like some type of oil pipe now. Ooh, very good thought. Annie, do you have any guesses you want to share with us? It sounds like a seesaw to me. Seesaw, some playground action, or an oil pipe. All right, let's hear the answer. My name is Willie, and I am from Kentucky. And that was the sound of me swinging on a swing. And that was the sound, sound of the trains moving. So, Annie, you were pretty close. It was a swing. All right. Yeah, I got the, the playground, playground. vibe. Yeah. <laughs> a very rusty wow. old swing that needs some oil. <laughs> Maybe they can yeah. just take that oil from the Cuyahoga River. <laughs> now, for our final chapter of the Cuyahoga River tale. How's the river doing now? Today, the Cuyahoga River is so much cleaner that people are playing on it again. To commemorate the anniversary of the last fire on the river, there was a big paddleboard race on it recently. You know, paddleboarding, it kind of looks like someone riding a big surfboard, but they've got a paddle to propel them. All right, six-mile guys. Five, four, three, two. The guy who organized the race, Jim Ridge, says he really wants people to interact with the Cuyahoga. If they know that it's cleaner, they'll be encouraged to come down here and recreate on it. And once they recreate on this body of water, whether it's kayaking, stand-up paddleboarding, rowing has been here for many years, um, once they start doing that, they become connected to this waterfront. They then become ambassadors for that waterfront and that river. So the hope is the more people get to know the river, the more they'll want to protect it. Thanks, Annie, for this winding river tale. Yeah, thanks, Annie. No problem. I'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. We use rivers for lots of things, from playing in them to disposing of waste in them. For a long time, we didn't do a good job keeping rivers clean, which led to some serious problems. Like rivers catching on fire. Today, we have rules in place to help limit the pollution in our waterways, and we monitor them to make sure they are healthy. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Molly Bloom, Mark Sanchez, and Sandin Totten. We had production help today from Jay Yang and Lauren D, and engineering help from Veronica Rodriguez and Bill Johnson. Many thanks to Curtis Gilbert, Tracy Mumford, Johnny Vince Evans, Elissa Dudley, John Raby, Justin Glanville, Lauren Humpert, John Lambert, Kathy Patrick, David Stradling, and Amy Scotchless Cole. Do you want to be a Brains On Water detective? Head to monitorwater.org slash brains on to find out how you can test the water where you live. That's monitorwater.org slash brains on. The Brains on Water Detective Project is supported by funding from the H.B. Fuller Company Foundation, a proud supporter of STEM education initiatives, and by 3M, improving lives through support of education, community, and the environment. And before we go, it's time for a moment of um... Why is it that our immediate reaction to pain is to say, ouch? So, hello, I'm Bob Mizell. I'm a professor of neuroscience at the University of Minnesota Medical School. A lot of things that happen to us, we want to be able to communicate with other people. But if you're not facing somebody, it's like, how do you do that communication? And so, for people as well as lots of animals, uh, having a verbal expression 
was very important for being able to communicate what's happening to you uh, in the absence of of face-to-face communication. And so we're just simply uh, expressing to the people around us, our small group, that something happened to us that caused pain and couldn't allow them to react, come over and come uh, help us if needed. But sometimes what you're going to do is you're, you're going to say, ouch, before you actually feel the pain. And that's because there's two levels. One is going to be the sensation. Do you actually feel it? And the other is is you have to go through a very complex process to understand what happened, to register the sensation, and to be able to respond to it. As you learn, oh, I'm going to get hit, and you learn the response, ow, and sometimes you don't get hit, but you've just done that so many times that it automatically comes out. Um, um, even though you can't see my face, you'll know that I'm very excited to read this list of names. It's time for the Brains Honor Roll. These are the excellent listeners who keep us going with all their ideas, questions, mystery sounds, and drawings. Here they are. Genevieve from Apex, North Carolina, Leah from Jenkintown, Pennsylvania, Drew from Richmond, Virginia, Ola, Liv, and Ida from Somerville, Massachusetts, Vivian from Manassas, Virginia, Miles and Dylan from Pescadero, California, Emma from Oklahoma, Matilda from Nashville, Joseph from Oklahoma City, Harper from Austin, Texas, Burke from Virginia, Ryson from Calgary, Olivia from Calgary, Bronwyn, Atticus, Theoden, and Declan from Lugoff, South Carolina, Camilla from Los Angeles, Julius from Seattle, Xavier from Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, Naomi, Ezra, and Judah from from Los Angeles, Liam from Denver, Ike from San Antonio, Texas, Phoebe and Henry from Calgary, Ada from Bronxville, New York, Wesley from Townsend, Massachusetts, Lottie and Timothy from Bainbridge Island, Washington, Ariana from Land Lakes, Florida, Louise from Houston, Vincent from Helpinkney, Michigan, Ava and Bean from Canada, Anya from Arlington, Massachusetts, Claire from Belmont, Massachusetts, William from Minneapolis, May and Henry from Plymouth, New Hampshire, Edward from the Bronx, Jude from Portland, Oregon, James from Centennial, Wyoming, the Hendrickson family from Monticello, Minnesota, Violet from Austin, Texas, Willow from Loxahatchee, Florida, Xavier from Queensland, Australia, Elijah from California, Rue from Dover, New Jersey, Jackson from Oklahoma City, Ania from Houston, Peyton from Pacifica, California, Karina, Eliana, and Luca from Maryville, Missouri, Fabrizio from Minneapolis, and Lena from Northern Virginia. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening. So, what do you think? Dudes, I can't believe that story. We let pollution get so bad that rivers caught on fire. You know what? This is going to be the topic of our next record. A concept album titled River of Flame, semicolon, The Quest for Environmental Justice, open parenthesis, The Cuyahoga River Story, and parenthesis, a concept album by... Charred Falcon! Awesome! Alright, awesome! Metal!